What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris, and today my guest is Scott Young. So check this out. If you don't know who Scott Young is, let me tell you, all right? If you're somebody who comes to this podcast because you're like me and you just love to learn, like you came to the right episode. You are in the exact right spot, all right? So Scott Young, he wrote a book called Ultra Learning, all right? A lot of people have read it and heard of it and stuff like that, but it took me a long time to finally read it. It kept popping up. I'm like, okay, what is this? I, I, I thought it was some like weird self-help type book. But once I read it, I was like, oh my God. And when I started this podcast, I swear to you, one, one of my main goals was like, I got to get a hold of this guy, Scott, and I got to get him on this podcast because like I, you all know, like I read so much, so much on all these different topics. And I don't, I, I don't know why. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. One of the reasons I started this podcast was like, okay, I need to do something with all these books and everything like that. But when I read his book, Ultra Learning, I'm like, oh my God, like there's, there's other people out there who just like to learn and develop new skills for, you know, uh, no other reason than to do it. But as you'll hear in this conversation and some of who his book is uh, geared towards is people who, you know, want to move up in their career and, uh, you know, do new things. And, you know, like one of the things that I think we take for granted, there's so much, you know, just negativity around the internet and social media and all this other stuff. But, you know, we, we take for granted that we truly are in the information age. Like Scott will kind of talk about it in this conversation and it's uh, how he starts his book. But like he took an MIT course online and taught himself how to program through that course. Like if you have an internet connection right now, the sky's the limit. And, you know, with all the books available, that's one of the reasons I love to read. Like, I think it's absolutely insane and just amazing that there are people, right? There are men and women out there who have dedicated their lives to like researching and studying a topic. And then they put all or most of that knowledge inside of a book. And then people like you and me can grab it for like less than $20 or you got a library card and you can grab it. Like that is bonkers. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I, I take advantage of reading. I took such a huge break, you know, from like, you know, the days of my addiction and slacking off in school before that and stuff, like I'm catching up on my reading, but there's so much knowledge out there. So I, I love this conversation with Scott, just re-listening to it as I edit it. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So for all of you who love to learn or you're interested in learning or you just got hooked on this podcast and you found interesting stuff and you want to learn more about it, like this conversation is not only, you know, about how to learn better, but what we can do with that knowledge. And again, his his book, Ultra Learning, is amazing. I'm about to read it again uh, because I love this so much. But yeah, make sure you head down to the description. Make sure you're following Scott. And at the end, he'll kind of mention some stuff that he's working on, which is pretty exciting. But do yourself a favor. Grab a copy of that book, Ultra Learning. Like, I, I really think that if you are somebody who enjoys this podcast, you will absolutely love that book. All right. So make sure you grab a copy. But yeah, while you're down in the description, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. I have so much stuff going on. I've been writing a ton and I'm working on even more stuff. I just had a great call yesterday about, you know, some uh, projects that I'm about to start and everything like that. So make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter 
at the rewired soul so you don't miss anything like twitter moves fast as hell like i tweet once about something <laughs> then like it's gone and you know in the in the twitterverse so make sure you're following me i post a lot of it on instagram too and all that but i love talking to all of you as well um so yeah make sure you're following me on instagram and twitter and if you're new make sure you're following and subscribe to the podcast all right i've been uploading uh episodes like pretty much daily so make sure that you're following the podcast so you don't miss any but anyways love this conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Scott Young about his book, Ultra Learning. All right, hello, Scott. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, uh, your book, Ultra Learning, I found it, fell in love with it. I thought it was going to be some cheesy kind of self-help thing, but then I, <laughs> I binged it. I was like, somebody finally understands me. Right. <laughs> so can you, for those who have yeah. yet to read it, uh, can you kind of explain like what, what is ultra learning? Like what inspired you to sit down and write this book? Yeah. So the term ultra learning isn't something I invented. It was uh, something Cal Newport, a friend of mine, uh, used to describe a project I did. And I kind of liked it because it was this intersection of people doing really aggressive, intense kind of learning projects, but also they were doing them outside of the normal school system. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows this kind of like picture in their head of like the med school student yeah. who's doing like 70 hours a week. But you know, what you don't have is a picture of the guy who goes to a new country and learns a new language in three months, like just, just really just going all into it or you know, there was a lot of other examples of people who were doing really interesting things, you know, like using statistical analysis to learn trivia or, mm -hmm. you know, various tricks to memorize things or, or understand deep subjects. And so I wanted to collect all these stories, bring it together and try to use them to illustrate some principles of cognitive science so that, you know, even if you don't want to do super intense, crazy things, mm -hmm. you would have this guidebook that could help you learn things better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the, one of the things I believe, uh, was it, was it MIT where you like did like a programming course? Was, yeah. Was, yeah. So yeah, this was the first project that, that I did. Um, and it was MIT posts a lot of their coursework online for free. So, uh, if you want to take an MIT class, you kind of can, they have lectures, they have the assignments yeah. with the solutions, they have the final exams with the solutions. And this was about 10 years ago. I had just graduated from school. I was thinking about going back to school to study computer science. And I thought, you know, why, why pay a lot of money? Why yeah. spend four years? And so I set a little project uh, publicly to try to um, learn a sort of a close equivalent of MIT's computer science degree by taking their free online classes, trying to pass the final exams to do the programming project. Yeah. So I did that over 12 months from 2011 to 2012. Uh, and that was sort of my first kind of foray into this. Um, and, you know, I talk about some of the inspirations uh, for that project in the book as well. Yeah, no, and, and that's, it's funny, uh, a few weeks ago, I actually had a, a MIT professor on here talking about, uh, uh, robots and AI and stuff yeah. like that. And it was my childhood dream to go to MIT, right? And, and yeah, it's- Well, it's now you can, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's what's crazy because yeah. like, like long story short, like I, I, I squandered like my twenties in uh, a ditch, uh, drug addiction and mm. I got clean and, 
And then like, I got to say, I was like, you know what? Like, I just want to learn stuff and there's nothing really stopping me. And I just kind of got obsessed. I'm like, there's so many resources, like yeah. not only like Google, but just books. Like we have these experts who have been doing this stuff their entire lives and we can access it. It kind of takes away that, that barrier. You know what I mean? Is that kind of like yeah. what, what you realize? Well, it's incredible how, like the, the funny thing is, is just how many like good university courses are online now, like from the best possible schools. Like uh, currently mm -hmm. I'm uh, doing one. I'm trying to remember the name of the actual course, but it's by Robert Sapolsky out of Stanford. Mm, and it's yeah. about human behavior biology. It's just on YouTube, you know, and you can just like, you know, and I think one of the comments on YouTube was like, oh man, this is like lectures without the homework. This is like so much better yeah. than actual school, but it's kind of true. I, I mean, you know, yeah, you can just sort of sit around and look at TikTok videos and, you know, just like watch stupid stuff and 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 you know that's fine if that's what you want to do but i think for a lot of people they're not even aware that you know yeah it is possible to deeply learn new subjects to you know build a new career for yourself to learn a new language an instrument a sport whatever uh there's just so many tools these days that weren't available you know in our parents or grandparents generation yeah yeah they had to go to a library and you know just spend hours finding the stuff they wanted to look yeah. at you know and uh and yeah uh I, I personally, I love Cal Newport's work and stuff too. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of this stuff is around uh, kind of traditional education, but I'm curious by chance, have you come across uh, Brian Kaplan or, or his book, like yeah. the case against education? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to get him on too. But uh, for example, like I dropped out of uh, college, like after, mm -hmm. after like my first semester and I've just been kind of, you know, uh, thinking about, you know, traditional education versus, you know, going and and he makes the case that it's more of like signaling, right? That degree yeah. is more of signaling. And as a father, my son's 12, so I got a little bit of time before he goes mm -hmm. to college, but it's something I think about a lot. So I'm curious your thoughts as someone who like went through this process and loves to yeah. learn, like, do you think there's a little bit too much put on traditional education or, or how Definitely. do you see that? I mean, I think, I think for me, the project that I did was just a real kind of, um, a way of separating the idea of like learning something from needing to get the credential, because I think Prior to that, at least in my own head, it was very much like if you didn't go to school and study that, then you couldn't possibly know that, yeah. you know, uh, and you even talk to people now. And I think there is a little bit of that sense. I think you're respective of just, well, how do I know that you know that if you didn't get the degree? There is that kind yeah. of, that's the signaling aspect of it. But, but I think, um, you know, for me right now, I think that that is really the case that a lot of the reason we have so many people enrolling in higher education and tuition is skyrocketing, we have all these issues with it is because, you know, companies want people who are, you know, to use Kaplan's terminology, they want people that are conscientious, they want people that are smart, they want people that yeah. are conformist. And so if you want those three things, looking at the sort of, you know, uh, outflow from a university graduation is a really good way of picking those candidates, even if you don't expect them to use anything that they learned in school actually on the job. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a, there's an inverse to that as well, that I think there are a lot of subjects. So I do think that um, higher education and sort of our formal institutions are biased towards signaling. But it's certainly also not the case that people don't need skills and that people don't mm -hmm. need to learn things. So you know, uh, programming is probably one of the better examples where you can have a very successful career mm -hmm. without having a higher education background in programming. So, you know, I've talked to people that, you know, they're lead developers at Microsoft and what do they study in school? They studied like music or something. Yeah. So obviously they had to learn the programming somewhere. They learned it, you know, in a combination of 
doing things on their own and learning on the job and, and taking courses and stuff. And so I think there is a lot of opportunity for you if you want to get ahead and improve your life to uh, to learn things that matter to you, whether that's, you know, finance, whether that's some career skill, whether it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, it's time for me to like reinvent myself. I think that learning is very important for that. But yeah, the what you're saying about uh, Brian Kaplan and, and his uh, book, The Case of Education, I think it is quite persuasive that there is a, a significant subset of um, the kind of education market that is mostly, you know, kind of this grooming people to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to op- occupy these, uh, well, I don't even say elite positions in society, these middle positions in society. Yeah, now. Right. Uh, but they're not really necessarily training people in the mm. sense that, you know, you taking an art history class makes you a good banker later. No, yeah. it, it lets you talk about art history to the other bankers so that they know you're not a schlub or something. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 wild. Like like for example, one of my one of my friends, he's very successful and he's been in hotel management. Mm-hmm. He actually moved from here to Las Vegas. He's across the country yeah. in Florida now. Upper manager at like Disney Resorts in yeah. like Florida, right? And he went to school for like like you mentioned, art history, right? <laughs> Had nothing to do with it. But yeah. I think, you know, uh one of the reasons I, you know, was really intrigued by Brian Kaplan's book and stuff was like I remember like after I dropped out of college and just started working full time. I had so many friends who went to college and they acted like they were like so much better than, but they were super dumb. Right. And just like, <laughs> like not, not like, like not intelligent, but they were like irresponsible. Yeah. They yeah. didn't understand concepts and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, but you, you are presenting yourself as someone who has these things because you made it. And sometimes it almost feels like it's more of just a test of endurance. You know what I mean? Um, oh, absolutely. It's funny too. I'm glad my girlfriend's not here because whenever I have this conversation, uh, she's in her master's program for social work. Okay. But that's a that's a okay, perfect job, example. Yeah. 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 That's a perfect example of a degree you need, right? Like there's so many yeah. ethical things and and all that. But, you know, uh, even she kind of sees that it's it's it seems almost like more about endurance than anything. Well, you know, my speaking of we mentioned Cal Newport, he has a thing that he says, which I think is a really good sort of litmus test is uh, he gets a lot of people asking for career advice. And I'm kind of copying him here uh, or relating (laughs) advice. So this isn't from me. But he said that, you know, a lot of people would be like, you know what, I I just don't like my job. You know, I I think I should go back and get my master's. This is like a common thing people say. And he and and. Cal has a PhD from MIT and he's a tenured professor. So this is definitely not some like out of academia crank. This is like he is very much in the ivory tower right now. And his his reply was, "Okay, show me a job that you think is much better than the job you have right now that you can't get now that you could get if and only if you get your master's. If you can make that case to me, then, yeah, go get your master's. But otherwise, don't do it. And I think that that's true because I think. Uh, you know, I was reading an article, which uh, it's on the top of my head, so I don't remember the link, but it was this person sort of discussing how uh, grad school, particularly non-PhD programs, so these just these master's programs, are really cash cows for the university, and they're a little bit of a scam because they don't give you that much more of a uh, reputational boost over just having a bachelor. Mm-hmm. They certainly, but, and they are also... Um, Uh, you know, like this could be like a master's in, I don't know, it could be like psychology or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But they're not, they're not seen in the academic community as being at all related to people who are on the PhD track and they charge you money for them. They're not even like PhD track. You usually get a stipend. Like, obviously you have to be, you know, but you couldn't get into that program. Mm -hmm. So they sell you on this 
expensive master's program that really is like a bad bet. So I, I, I think it's really hard to speak in too broad a brush about education. You know, I don't want to say they don't teach useful skills and then say someone say, well, what about law school or engineering? Or it's yeah. like, well, they're actually teaching you how to do your trade. Um, and you don't want, I don't want to say, oh, this is a bad investment because it really depends. And lots of school is a good investment, even just from this signaling point of view. Mm-hmm. But I think what I'm trying to do with this book is show people an expanded set of options and get people mm-hmm. to think critically about it too. I think uh, sometimes it will make sense for you to go to school and get a degree. I think that's particularly true if you don't have a degree. I think having a degree in anything mm-hmm. just for those signaling reasons. But in my particular case, I graduated with a business degree. Having a second bachelor is like pretty low additional marginal value. Yeah. You know, It just kind of shows employers maybe that you couldn't pick the first time around or you just really like school. Um, and so if you want to just know programming, you want to know computer science, mm-hmm. then, you know, the kind of approach that I took worked. And so I think really for me, this uh, process of, well, at least this MIT challenge was really a, a proof case for me that you can disentangle the things you want to learn from needing all the credentials mm-hmm. and certificates that society sometimes requires mm-hmm. from you. And so the more you can keep those two separate, I would tell people, yeah, to get the degree and what you need to do to get a good job. And then if you want to learn something, like you can learn it like for free online like it's it's there's yeah. no problem if you just really want to know art history you just really want to know english or philosophy or whatever yeah yeah exactly and that's that's kind of uh you know my whole thing with with my son just the way i look at mm. it because i remember growing up it was like this is the path this is what you have to do i didn't even realize there could be a different option but you yeah. know i graduated high school 2003 so the internet's become more of a thing but when i i you know when it comes time for my son and he's deciding on on college it's kind of looking kind of like what you mentioned with cal newport right like look mm-hmm. at the landscape right <laughs> because just based on my experience i uh for like right now doing my day job i work in marketing and pr and content mm-hmm. and stuff I have no degree, right? Before that, I was working at a a drug and alcohol rehab center and it was wild because I was making more than some of the people who had degrees, right? In their program. So that, you know, that's something that I kind of want to emphasize to my son. And there's so much freelance work and all these other things. Like I, I talked to like many amazing journalists on the podcast about their books, but I've gotten freelance writing gigs for different yeah. publications, you know, so so I just kind of want my my kid to kind of learn that and, and other people out there. You know what I mean? Well, that's a real sore spot for some people that go and they get their master's or, or you know, mm. some advanced degree or they go to a really good school is that there is a real sense of, I think, entitlement to like. I'm better than these other people. I should be paid more just by virtue of like in the you know, academic sorting process, I was above you. Like I got better grades than you in that class or something. Yeah. But of course, that's not how the actual economy works. The economy works based on, you know, to to a first degree of approximation based on at like how much, how much the skills you do provide something of value that someone else is willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there's, this is a bit of an oversimplification, you know, obviously getting into a position to be able to do that. There's other complications, but I mean, if, you know, the fact that you got really good grades at school, or you graduated from Yale or you graduated from Harvard itself does not entitle you to uh, like a really good job. It's just that, you know, on average, the people who go to Yale or MIT or something also tend to, you know, found great startups and yeah. are really brilliant and this kind of thing. But I think that that can create an issue where, you know, maybe I'm not earning what I want to earn in my current career. And so you scapegoat that to, well, I don't have a master's or, well, I don't have the, those sparkling credentials. Mm. And so that's why I'm being overlooked. And I don't want to say that that's 
again, it depends on the situation. You're big, big company, you need an MBA to move up and you don't get an MBA. Okay. Well, maybe that's the problem. But in many cases, it's more simply, you have to like take that hard look at yourself as like, is my work really, you know, am I really like kind of a top player in this, this sort of field of my company? Am I, you know, if I'm writing articles or something like that, am I writing articles that people want to read that people yeah. really like, you know, these are hard questions to ask yourself. And so I think sometimes this kind of uh, diversion into thinking about credentials, it can be both a source of entitlement, but also a source of scapegoating that like any personal failures are just like, well, it's just a racket or something yeah. rather than no, 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 you, you're actually like, it's a, it's a level playing field. You know, if you're not the best programmer, then yeah, maybe you're not going to get the job working at the, you know, elite firm or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott, can I, can I tell you a, a quick unpopular sure. opinion that I think you might understand? <laughs> so right. here's, here's my theory. I okay. think, I think, uh, one of the reasons this becomes a, a sore subject with people who do have degrees in you know, a certain aspect is mm. that some cognitive dissonance sits in, right? And then there's also that, that irrationality that comes along with when you own something, you value it more. So yeah. who's going to be like, yeah, you know what? I spent a hundred thousand dollars on a pointless degree, right? Like mm. though that idea can't sit, you know, with like, nobody wants to say that they, they wasted that much money. Right. So if I like, you know, on a lesser example, if I go to the store and I spent $500 on a TV, I'm not going to bring it home and be like, this TV sucks. I'm going to yeah. inflate it and be like, this is great. This was worth it. You know what I mean? So I feel like, like there's a little bit of resistance and that's why it's difficult to have this conversation, uh, with people. What are, what are your thoughts on that? That little thing? Well, I, I definitely think there can be cognitive dissonance here. What you're talking about this kind of sunk cost bias of like, you've invested mm. so much effort into something. So it, it has to pay off. But I think, um, you know, I, I think what you're talking about, it, it can be, can be correct that if you, uh, if you get into this sort of mindset where, you know, it's not so much how, what are you able to do? But like, what are the, you know, what do you have on your resume for credentials? Mm. I think it can, it can distort your perspective a little bit. So I think the right way of viewing it is that these things uh, are often useful. They're definitely signals, as we talked about, you know, as Brian Kaplan shows, uh, the truth is that, you know, if you look at on average, uh, getting a college degree, um, getting, you know, advanced degrees does increase your earning potential. Some of that's probably just that, you know, ability bias that the same people who would have graduated if they didn't graduate would have had better jobs, but mm. it does seem to be a premium for, for having gone to school. But again, on average, right? Uh, and that yeah. on average masks a lot of stuff. And so I think, you know, you really have to look at each individual situation. So that's why I like the Cal Newport test of things of, of should I go back to do my master's is, okay, find the job that you need this for that is like, yeah, I, I would like this job, but the thing that's standing in my way is I don't have a master's. Um, if it's just vague kind of like, well, I feel like I'd like a better job and a master's is probably the way to do it. Um, you know, the, there's that South Park episode where they've got the underpants and I was like, you know, step one, collect underpants, step two, question mark, question mark, step three, profit. <laughs> Sometimes there can be a little bit of that sort of magical thinking mm -hmm. uh, in this as well. And so I think the the key and, you know, to kind of get, get back to the point of of my book is that the more you can view okay, I have a skill gap or I have a knowledge gap or there's something that like, I'm not, they're not hiring me because I'm not able to like really perform at that job. Like I'm not qualified or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Then those are gaps that you can fill in lots of ways and, and university and going to get your master's for instance, is just, is just one option. And so I think the more broadly you can look at it, 
you know, if, if my book convinces someone that, you know, I, well, I didn't study programming, but I, I hate my dead end job and I'd like to become a programmer. Yeah, I can teach myself programming, get a programming job. That would be, you know, a mm-hmm. good outcome for me. Um, so that, that's sort of why I, I wrote the book is to try to show people these varied options that you have. Available. Yeah. And, and something I, I love about your book was something that, that kind of clicked for me too was, you know, cause like I said, you know, I, I have a full-time job mm-hmm. during the day. I do, you know, this other stuff, like just because I like to create and talk and all that stuff. But anyways, it's my, my love for learning has helped me at my job, right? I've learned about different aspects of, you know, uh, marketing and PR and mm-hmm. uh, just content and all these things, right. That have, that have helped me in it. Right. Or there's, you know, just a case of, you know, right now we live in a world where a lot of people need side hustles and you can yeah. teach yourself how to edit, how to create things. Right. Like I have, you know, all the Adobe stuff on my computer yeah. I've never taken you know, one of those classes, but, but I got, I got one last question for you kind of about like the job market too. And, and people that you've talked to and worked with, um, like, so I'll, I'll lay it out this way. Growing up here in Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Like some high paying jobs. I'm like working front desk at a hotel, right? Like get a yeah. job there. And all of them wanted like a bachelor's or, you know, whatever. So I definitely see the value because like you said, on average, there's more yeah. opportunities and it feels like you have to work twice as hard if you don't have that degree. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, you know, with, with like, uh, you know, just, just what you've built and the content you've created, the book you've written have have any like employers or companies kind of shifted their mindset around we need people with degrees to to even be qualified well so the way i like to think about it is that your average job application process let's say you're hiring for this front hotel clerk position you're going to get resumes maybe you'll get 100 resumes right and maybe out of that you can interview 10 people Mm -hmm. maybe right and then you're picking one person And so the idea here is that it's not so much that I think any company, uh, well, there are companies that maybe just have that, like, well, we're only going to consider people with, you know, very explicitly, but it's more just a time-saving mechanism. If you've got a hundred resumes and you have to pick which 10 you're going to interview, then let's stick with the ones that have the most qualifications. Like it's just a natural kind of, and, and that's where this signaling argument comes in is that if I'm like, yes, yes, nope, yes, nope, like this, then, oh, I, you know, I have this nuanced background of experience that's hard yeah. to write down in the resume. Blah, it doesn't work. So I know people who have, let's say, they have very successful careers, but they have less, you know, uh, they're, they've got weirder resumes. You know, I have a mm. good friend who he earns six figures as a consultant right now uh, doing healthcare tech consulting. But I mean, he's a real like kind of he's, he he was a bouncer at a bar. Yeah. He only has like a like one of those two year associate degrees. He was a nurse. He was like all sorts of things in his background. Yeah. And it's hard for him in that situation because again, if it's yes, yes, no, yes, okay, of course the person who has their master's in healthcare technology is going to get the interview over him. However, there's many other ways that you can get jobs, and so I think that's why the more informal channels of you know people I think who who don't do as well in that first resume pass, they often work well for cultivating those connections with other people. And then you sort of build it informally. So the way he got to his job now is I think he he got a sort of a, a, a beginning level job in one of these things. And then he was sort of demonstrated that he was really good at yeah. managing stakeholders, like all these years bouncing and 
the bars of he's really good at like getting people who are fighting to work together and 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 he was able to move his projects forward and get results other people would and he was networking with people and mm. like that was the channel by which he grew his career and so it wasn't like he wasn't getting cut off by that filter and so i do think this can create a bit of a you know catch 22 type situation of like how do you get people to see that you're you know really dedicated stellar worker if you're you know, not in the job environment that you want to be in. But I do think that uh, this idea that like, well, the, like, I think the degree and this kind of stuff, it it's it stays with you in the beginning. But then later on, the, if you've accumulated experience in similar roles and you come like lots of jobs you get from referral now, right? Yeah, like it's, yeah. So I think it's, I, I think that there is a sort of an overestimate maybe of how powerful that degree is because it does give you a little bit of that foot in the door. But, uh, you know, there's also back doors and there's a window. And once you're yeah. in, then it's it's in the large case, it's can you prove yourself? Can you show mm-hmm. that you are really valuable and you know how to do the work? And so um, I, I again, going back to this uh, previous discussion we were talking about, I think that education can be really good, but I think you need to see it as like a tactical strategy mm. um, rather than just any problem you have with your career, the answer is go back to school. It's like, okay, you know, that's probably not true. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I just think one of the, you know, benefits that I've had that's kind of helped balance it, uh, is my dad, he, he worked in sales, you know, his whole Mm -hmm. life. And he was just the ultimate networker. Las Vegas is a decent size. He knew like everybody in town, every casino, you know, whatever. And, you know, even though I'm pretty introverted, like I am great at one-on-one conversations, but my dad taught me like the importance of just like talking to people and being nice and helping people out and stuff like that. And, you know, my, my current job, for example, uh, this guy who had an English degree, uh, cause I, I manage content and write it stuff Mm -hmm. he left and the only reason i got the job was because the owner of the company knew me from a previous job you know what i mean so there are these like back channels and stuff like that that you kind of talk about um but yeah so so now i want to i want to switch gears and i need you to help me out okay so so i need you to help me with some ultra learning because i love the book but uh I, I, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I want to take some of the, your principles and put them to use, <laughs> but I feel like my, my learning is a little bit outside of this. So, okay. so just to give you a little about me, right? So right. right now I got my Goodreads up. I have read 261 nonfiction books so far this year. All right. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's right. Quite a bit. So, <laughs> yeah. so I just love, I love to read and it's on so many different topics right mm-hmm. like if i had to break down like primary topics it'd be psychology philosophy various social issues you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i guess like the first question is because I, I i don't think i'm the only one who does this like when i when i look at your story or some of the stories you talked about in the book like you have like this concrete thing right i want to learn programming here's yeah. what i'm going to do with programming right so it's like learning a skill to do something with it when i'm just when my thing is just kind of like abstract knowledge and topics right. yeah. like i guess the first thing like your first principle is draw a map mm-hmm. i don't know where the hell i'm going scott <laughs> <laughs> so so what would you say to a guy like me like because I, I want to use it. Well, doing you know? this kind of just reading books because they interest you and taking a class because it interests you. I mean, that's great, right? It, but it, yeah. it, it's the same time, you know, in, in some ways, what you're describing is like you're in search. You're, you've got a solution in search of a problem. Like you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, well, I'm reading all these books. I'm doing all this kind of stuff. But like, you know, I, I'm not doing it according to these rules. 
the way I usually view it is that the reason to apply a lot of these techniques is because there's some goal that you have for learning or some outcome that you want that seems too daunting or seems like you're not able to reach it. So if you're reading lots of books and you just like reading lots of books, then, you know, that's great. Like I read lots of books too. There's not really that much more to say about it. I do think it's helpful if you have some specific um, idea in mind of like, I'd like to be good at this, or I'd like to be an expert on this, or I'd like to produce something. Like, let's say I'm, you know, I want to write a book about something or I want mm-hmm. to produce a YouTube series uh, about some topic that, you know, I, I want to be seen as an expert on this. I want to know everything there is. Once you get some kind of sense of what you're trying to do in the real world that requires you to learn things, um, then you can kind of, all right, how do we make the project work around it? But I mean, there's nothing wrong with just reading lots of books. So yeah. I definitely don't want to discourage that. So so I, I've been playing well with this because originally I came from YouTube and then I started this podcast because I was yeah. like, I read so many books. I want to talk to authors and get inside their heads and ask, mm-hmm. you know, ask some questions that I don't feel were right. answered in the book and, you know, just learn even more. So since having the podcast, I've been kind of like, like, what, what, what is the goal? Right. Because mm-hmm. with my YouTube channel, it was easy, Scott, because yeah. uh, is- my YouTube channel was centered around mental health and addiction yeah. recovery right? That was the focus. And one of the reasons I started it was because growing up, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. So when I got sober, I I started to educate myself. And then I got that job at the rehab and I was teaching people and they were like, Hey, Chris, like you, like you, you translate this like scientific stuff in a much simpler way. Right. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, the rehab was like 30 grand to go there. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have insurance and you needed high, high end insurance. So I was like, I'll make a YouTube channel, just kind of educate people. Cause I know there's more people who struggle with depression, anxiety, substance abuse, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that kind of took off. Right. So I found that I kind of have this, since I love to learn and read these books, I try to take it since I like doing that and simplify it. So right now, a great example is, uh, all the stuff around, you know, COVID and masks and vaccines. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like there's a big gap in science communication. Like I have professors and all sorts of people on here all the time. And, and I notice that there's a real issue with communicating. So I feel like I'm kind of a middle, a middleman. So. (laughs) With that, with that kind of being said, like, do you think that might be part of this map or goal, like taking what I learn and then? I think that's great. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I really try to advocate for in the book is a lot of what we learn just kind of stays inert, right? You know, you read some book maybe, and then you put it back on your bookshelf and then it's done, right? So I think the process of translating something, of trying to explain it to someone else, of teaching it really forces you to understand it yourself in a way that just reading it doesn't. So even for me, I often will write essays uh, on my blog that are kind of like me making sense of something I've read. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's as much for me as it is for someone else. And so I think that that idea of teaching and wanting to teach what you learn is, is, you know, really valuable. And it sounds like you're kind of already doing that. And maybe you don't need uh, so much advice from me if you're reading 250 books a year and you've got a popular YouTube channel. I don't know. I don't know how I can help you. But yeah, yeah, no, um, that's, that's, that's another yeah. thing. I'm like, am I just in my head about this and overcomplicating <laughs> it? You know, I don't know. But I do think that what you're talking about is, is correct that like being able to take an idea and explain it to someone else is a really useful way to think about learning. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so there's lots of different ways. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to learn this skill and then make a lot of money at it. Like sometimes it's, 
I want to learn this so that I can, you know, understand what the hell people are talking about when they're having political debates, or I want to understand this so that, you know, like you were mm-hmm. saying, you know, if I'm thinking about getting a vaccine or not, and they're saying mRNA and I'm like, well, what the hell is that? You know, yeah. I, it would be nice if I knew what mRNA is. So like, there is a benefit in learning this abstract knowledge because mm-hmm. if you're like, oh yeah, that M stands for messenger. And I remember that. And this, this is what it does. And this kind of thing, it helps you make sense of the world. And so I do think that learning is very valuable, but I always try to encourage people to not just learn it and then just sort of put it on that mental bookshelf and forget about it, but to try to bring it into what they're doing. So that can be in teaching it. It can be in applying it as a skill. It can be taking on a little project. So I know lots of people who have taken on projects where they've, you know, made explainers or made like kind of like dissections or they've done some sort of performance for the particular um, set of knowledge. And that really helps even just in the sense of just having the knowledge in that mental bookshelf, because sometimes you don't realize after you read a book that you didn't actually understand a lot of it, Mm -hmm. like you read it, but you didn't really understand it. And it's only when someone's like, oh, what was in that book? And you're like, oh yeah, I was, yeah, I was sort of about like, you don't have any mental picture there. And so I think that that ability to uh, work with what you're doing is, is very important. Yeah. I I think you and I are definitely on the same page with that. Like no matter what it is, uh, and it's something I kind of trained myself to do when I first got sober, because I would go, I got sober at 12 step meetings. So I was broke and didn't Mm -hmm. have insurance. And I was like, you know what? I have to take something from every single meeting I go to, even if it's terrible. Right. And I've just applied that to everything. Like if I'm watching a TV show, what did I learn from this? What, how did I grow in just a little bit of a way? So like with the hours you spend reading books, right? Like I'm like, I'm not going to walk away from this and not take anything practical. (laughs) And that's one of the things I try to do when I'm talking with authors, right? Like I can't think of a single book, a single nonfiction book. Well, I guess you can read fiction too, where you can close it and there's not something that you could take away from it and apply to your life. Right. So like, just for example, my most recent uh, Substack post, it was on, you know, misinformation on social media. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what I try to do is take, because you'll have somebody who's like, you know, a polit, uh, uh, an expert in politics, but then you mm-hmm. also have social psychologists over here. Then you have philosophers and it's like, well, you guys aren't studying each other's things. So what if we kind of brought that together and kind of have a better understanding about misinformation that we can kind of come together yeah. and find these solutions. So that's what I try to take from it to then translate or maybe like make a recipe with it, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because we're going against a little bit what we were talking earlier about this in the <laughs> value of education. But I, like, I personally uh, really, really like the kind of basic topics that they talk about in universities. So, you mm. know, I've written about this on my own blog that like, you know, it's a personal goal of mine that like I should know, like think of every university department, maybe excluding foreign languages because sometimes they have one for each to each language. But mm-hmm. Um, think of every like major university department, you know, like linguistics, psychology, sociology, you know, economics, physics, engineering, whatever. If you knew the like 101 topics for those courses, which is not a small feat, you know, that's quite yeah. a few courses, but you just knew those things. So like when someone would bring up something that would be in, you know, bio 101, you would know it. Um, I think just gives you such a foundation for interpreting what everyone else is saying. And indeed, I would say for like filtering out a lot of bullshit. So talking about your information, yeah. uh, misinformation idea, um, there's a lot of stuff that people will kind of casually repeat that you're like, if you had even the one-on-one level of this course, you'd see why that's nonsense, right? Yeah. But 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 if you're missing that, then you get tricked, you get conned by people, you get this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so I think there is, 
a real value in doing that that has enormous practical value uh, in making yourself less gullible, but also I think in in understanding the world so that anything that's going on, you kind of know what's what's happening and you can make informed decisions about things. So I, I, you know, I think that that stuff is huge. I think that part of the problem with education is a lot of people go into it kind of, you know, they're not really keen to learn, you know, that they yeah. want that credential, they want that. But I think um, the fact that that's all available for free right now, and you can just watch like a YouTube lectures that is oh well now i know all about you know this topic and yeah. i you know can follow conversations when they come up in that domain is is huge yeah yeah and speaking of that one of the most important things i've i've found like i i hate numbers i hate math yeah. but i read so many books about analyzing data right because mm. every day we're getting information about you know uh research and studies and polls mm -hmm. and everything and you know, confirmation bias sets in and we don't know how to decipher it. Like, you know, maybe the sample size for this study they did was complete garbage. Yeah. And, you know, there's ulterior motives for why they're even telling you about this study, you know, especially with the way, you know, different yeah. news organizations are so polarized. So just like, that's one of the reasons I like to learn because I feel like that's important. Like if I'm make, for example, going back to COVID, if I'm making the decision on, should I get the vaccine? I mm -hmm. want to know what these numbers mean when I look yeah. at it. I don't just want to be like, okay, I'm pro or against, and now I'm going to find studies that just confirm yeah. this. You know what I well, mean? Well, statistics, I think, you know, I, the way that we often teach uh, math is it kind of goes toward calculus in high school. So you do mm. kind of maybe pre-calculus uh, before you go to university and then maybe do calculus. And I always thought that this was a little bit backwards that we should probably be doing statistics in high school because in terms of a practical, yeah. like understanding the math has important implications. Statistics is huge because it is, again, a very numerate domain. So a lot of people aren't comfortable with numbers. So they're not comfortable with like, they don't understand the difference between 99% and 99.999%. They yeah. sound the same, even though one is one in a hundred and one is one in 10,000, right? Like yeah. it's a huge difference in terms of risk or, or probabilities and stuff. Um, and there's all these kinds of uh, paradoxes and, and ways of thinking about it that can be misleading. Like, again, this law of large numbers, if you have a small yeah. sample size, you can easily get spurious results. People don't factor that in. Um, and so I think statistics is like an extremely powerful um, mental module to, to sort of apply to many, many problems. Uh, and it does require a lot of practice and it does require kind of dealing with some uncomfortable things, you know, people that drive that bell curve and looking up Z-scores and stuff. I, yeah. I know lots of people didn't like statistics in school, but I think that, you know, in terms of this is good to know, I, I think that it's unequivocal. And, and so for me, if I were reforming the high school education, I would definitely be like starting, you know, maybe grade nine or 10, definitely go towards statistics and away from calculus because while calculus is good for engineering and there's some applications yeah. for that, uh, you know, in, in more advanced math, um, the amount of times you need to take a derivative is really, really few. Whereas mm -hmm. the amount of times you need to like ballpark some number and be like, is this statistic like BS or not, you know, or yeah. like correlation versus causation yep. or all these kinds of things are super important for your ability to like, just even understand the news, you know, what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And if nothing else, at the end of the day, when I'm like, what yeah. am I going to do with all this? Like, I just, I just feed it to my son, right? My son will hear yeah. something or whatever. And I'll just yeah. like, I'll talk statistics. I'm like, Hey, statistics, yeah. you know, and I break it yeah. down for him and have him think about it. But, you know, I think this is a good way to seg segue into the next principle in your book, sure. which is focus. All right. So check it out. So one reason, like people are like, how do you read so many books? I heard, I think it was on Shane Parrish's podcast a while yeah. ago. He had someone on there and they were talking about like 
he reads books like blogs, right? So yeah. he reads a chapter and like a chapter here, a chapter there or whatever. So I have all these books in rotation. Now, mm. one thing I do is I go deep. Like if I just had to like give an example, when everything happened to me in 2019, I was like, what is going on, right? So I wanted to learn about crowd psychology. I'm like, why do people get so irrational in groups, right? Mm -hmm. So I started reading all these books on it. And then and then something will be, get brought up or books will get mentioned. I'm like, ooh, that sounds like an interesting topic. Then I'll go read five books on that. And yeah. so, so even though I'm sober, I have this addicted behavior where I'll just dive <laughs> all in. But anyways, I guess like, what would you say to someone like me where I'm interested in so many topics, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, like what, what would the, the principle of going deep and focusing look like for someone like me? Yeah. So, well, I think the idea of focus in the book is there's kind of two meanings of it. So mm. one is that you actually need to carve out time. So just sort of being able to invest time into learning is important. And I mean, yeah. the, the idea of the book is to try to be as efficient with that time as possible. But it's certainly not the case that, you know, those those examples are the person like plays the CD when they're sleeping and then they like oh, wake yeah. up and they and speak French. Things, yeah. It's bullshit. You can't do that. Yeah. Um, you actually need to put in time. And the, and the second factor of focus is that it can't just be, you know, have the TV on in the background and you're kind of doing this like to really, really learn and understand things that are difficult for you so you know not just something you can casually pick up but you know like we're talking about like understanding calculus or statistics yeah. or neuroscience or whatever you need to have this kind of uh focused concentration so that your sort of mind is absorbed in what you're doing and that can be very difficult these days because you know we're always on our phone we're always yeah. getting messages there's so many distractions that kind of itchy feeling you have if you sit for reading a book for a while you're like why isn't it playing a video you know i want to yeah. i want to do something uh, entertaining and that can be a real battle and so i think the idea of focus for me is learning how to tap mm. into that and i think having a really good motivation to learn is super important in order to make time in order to actually concentrate on things but i think that's also underrated is the ability to kind of clear away some of the distractions in terms of focusing on a particular topic i think that really depends on you and your goals i think mm. for me having a single project or a single focus for a chunk of time allows me to overcome some of those difficulties. So for instance, you know, if I'm doing watching four or five different classes, you know, in and around the same mm. time, I kind of hop between them. What happens is whenever I encounter something that's kind of difficult, it's like, ah, I, you know, yeah. I'm not understanding this anymore. I'm going to switch and I'm going to switch. And that might be fine if my goal was just to kind of cover this sort of surface level of a lot of topics. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if my goal was, you know, I really want to understand quantum mechanics or something, and I actually need to like sit down with a pencil and paper and work through it to mm. understand it, that's, it's hard to get to that point if you're also trying to do 10 other things. And so that's why I like this project approach where you pick a project for, you know, two or three months, you really take whatever free time you have, whatever uh, disposable time you have and pour into it. Even if it's just a couple hours a week, you pour into that single project and you focus on it for a stretch of time because it lets you get past those sort of uncomfortable difficulties. And I think on the other side of those uncomfortable difficulties is often a lot of really cool stuff, you know, like speaking another language, actually yeah. playing a song on guitar, you know, understanding some complicated topic that you thought you were nowhere near smart enough to understand. I think these yeah. are some of the things that are really valuable.
Yeah, no, and, and that makes that makes whole sense too. And you know, uh, because sometimes I feel bad because uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick up a book and it's just I don't like it, right? Like we all have our <laughs> styles of writers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I truly respect anybody who writes an entire book. Like I've I've written, I've self-published some of my own books. Like, so if you've written a book, I'm like, good for you. But just sometimes their style or the topic yeah. isn't what I was hoping for or whatever. But I'm just worried that like kind of like you mentioned with multiple classes where I'm just like, oh, this is boring, right? But I'm kind of thinking of well, what's my goal with this? What's my yeah. purpose with this? And I guess if I was like, you know, I want to, you know, really, I want to submit a, a, a piece on astrophysics, right? Like then I would have to sit <laughs> through the boring stuff, but sometimes I'm just like, eh, or, or I'll come back to it later. Mm -hmm. And then I'm interested because something else kind of piqued my interest in that topic again. Does that make sense? Well, I like to think of it there being kind of two modes because I'm very much like you in that I like to read a lot of books and I often don't finish books. I'll read it and I'll read 100 pages and it's like, okay, this is getting redundant and I'll yeah. shelve it. So, I, you know, I've got books on this bookshelf. It's kind of hard to see right here, but it's also, uh, behind me. I've got yeah. books on this bookshelf that, you know, I've read a third of. And that kind of bothers some people that they're like, no, 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 you have to finish every book. But the way I see it is that there's an infinity of books that I haven't even opened yet. So I don't have a problem putting yeah. a book down half finished. The idea here is that like, think of it as, uh, you know, most of the time when I'm getting around in the world, I walk, right? But I also know how to run, you know? And so it's kind of like, you need to know how to turn that on. Like if I really need to get somewhere, I can turn on the kind of running mode uh, mm. in, in terms of learning. And so if, you're just reading a lot of books and then you get to like, no, 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 this topic really interests me, but I'm hitting a wall with it. I'm not getting the progress that I want to make. I'm not, you know, ah, uh, yeah, this is, this is difficult. I'm not sure whether I can just do this casually knowing how to, okay, let's turn up the gears and, you know, apply all of the principles that we can to try to learn this as effectively as possible. I think having that in your back pocket is really good. Even if, yeah, when you're just sort of casually reading books, if it's like, this is boring, or I think this author is insipid or whatever, I yeah. can just put it down and, and not worry about it. Yeah, no, it, it's funny that you say that. So here's a fun fact that only my girlfriend knows, but uh, Audible, because I do audiobooks, yeah. uh, Audible banned me for six months for returning books. They had a very loose return policy, but that's what I would do. I'd get like an hour or two into it, you know, a few chapters. Yeah. I'm like, this sucks. I return it. And, and eventually they're like, hey, man, that's enough. But, uh, but yeah, I wow. did it. Like, if I'm like, <laughs> but like, uh, but I always like made sure like it was like within like the first quarter. So I wasn't like, yeah. you know, getting a, a, a ton of it. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, I didn't once realize I get, they banned people from, hey, for, I might for be the books. first there six you go. Months, yeah. <laughs> six months. I'm like, I spend so much money with you guys reading all these books. Yeah. Um, but now I'm getting like advanced copies and stuff because of the podcast. So it's helped me. Um, but, but yeah, so, so that, that, that makes a ton of sense. And just kind of like turning that, that dial and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and one reason, one thing, uh, is this podcast has helped me learn about more topics because if I'm interested in someone's coming on, it gives me a reason to go through the book learn more about it. And if I don't find answers, I can ask them on the podcast and all that. But uh, so let me ask you, so this might be a two-parter. So sure. one of the next uh, principles is retrieval. And then you mm -hmm. also have retention, right? Right. So the first part of that is the difference. And then my question is like, do you think the things I'm doing, whether it's the podcast and talking about them, whether it's writing about them, making YouTube videos about them, is that a good form of it with re retaining and retrieving the information? 
Or right. is there something better? I so can retrieval is a process of uh, recalling something from memory. And uh, this was actually not a chapter I was originally going to include in the book. It wasn't mm. in the proposal. But when I was doing, I found the research for this. I was like, this is too great. Like I, ha- I-, I had to like make a new chapter in the book just for this. Yeah. But it's basically this idea that if you compare just reading something and closing the book and trying to recall what was in it, that the latter is huge for how much you'll remember later. And so there's all these really interesting studies where you like change how participants behave. And one of my favorites is by Jeffrey Karpicki and Janelle Blunt, where they had people in these different groups. Some of them, same amount of time, just read the text over and over again. And some of them, they read it once, closed mm. it, blank page, like trying to recall everything they can remember from the text. And then they asked those people, how much do you remember from the the test, like when we give you a test on this, how well will you do? And interestingly, the people who did the reading it over and over again were like, oh yeah, I got this. Like I, I, yeah. I'm going to do really well. So they gave themselves high marks. And the people who did free recall, the people who closed the book and tried to remember, gave themselves terrible marks. So they're like, oh man, I don't remember anything. Yeah. But then when you actually test them, it's the opposite. The people who did free recall do much better. Mm-hmm. And so this idea, I think, corresponds roughly to the principle that if you want to remember something, you need to practice remembering it, not practice looking at it. And so mm. there's lots of like weird ways this pops up. So one of my favorites is uh, I, when I was doing this language learning a project, I was traveling with this friend and he always had like all his numbers memorized, like passport numbers, credit card oh, numbers. Wow. And so we're sitting there filling out our like, you know, immigration forms because we're arriving in Brazil or wherever. And he's just like, da, 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 not looking at anything. And there's me, I'm putting on my passport i'm writing it down and i'm like how how is he able to do this and what i discovered was that well when he gets a new number he he's just trying to remember it without looking at it and then very quickly he memorizes it whereas for me i always am worried i'm going to get it wrong so i check and then what is happening is the mental pathway that he's building is I need my passport number, retrieve it from memory is the process. For me is this, I need my passport number, go get my passport and like copy it down. And remembering, memorizing your passport number is not a big deal. But this idea, just this abstract idea that if you need to memorize something, you need to practice remembering it is, is so critical because you know, think about memorizing a speech. If you have to go on stage, Mm -hmm. speech, what do people do? They look over their cue cards over and over and over again. That's not how you memorize a speech. You put the cue cards down, you try to deliver the speech, and when you fail, then you look at the cue cards. You, you yeah. can't do it the other way around. So that's the idea of retrieval, which is just a, a process of trying to recall something without looking at it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, retention is a little bit more of a grab bag chapter, but it's it's more about various principles that are involved in how long do memories and knowledge and skills stay in your head. Mm. And so one of the most prominent of those is just the spacing effect, just the idea that if you get exposures to information spread out over time that dramatically improves the longevity of information. Mm. So there's a lot of really naturalistic ways you can encounter this. If you just read lots of books on a topic and there's an idea that comes up, you know, semi-frequently in those books, you will master it just by virtue of reading all these books and it'll come up. Mm -hmm. Um, Similarly, if you're speaking a new language and you speak it all the time, the very common words you'll use all the time. And so you'll get some space exposure to it. But the challenge is often when we go to more academic environments in a classroom, they do unit one, then unit two, then unit three, then unit four. Mm. And by the time you get to unit five, you've completely forgotten unit one. And so the right way to learn that is that you do unit one, unit two, and then a little bit of unit one, and then unit three, and you do a little bit of unit one and a little bit of unit two. And this way of spreading it out. um, And so you can combine that with retrieval, but they are separate principles. Another principle that I talk about is this idea of overlearning or proceduralization. 
So overlearning is the idea that if you keep practicing something beyond the point where you're getting better at it. So, mm. you know, you learn how to do something and then you can do it correctly. They often do this for things like army drills or something like someone like, you know, uh, you know, cleaning a gun or something. That, that's yeah. one of the things they'll do in these studies. And like once someone can like disassemble and reassemble it correctly the first time, you get them to do it like 10 more times. And the additional performance does not improve their ability yeah. because they can already do it, but it increases how long they remember how to do it. And so this also applies to things that, you know, for a lot of skills we learn in school, you just get to the point where you're able to do it and then you move on to the next subject. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you really wanted to have that as a tool in your toolkit, you would keep doing those, you know, problems that you already know well beyond that. And then it would be like second nature. You wouldn't forget it. Mm. And, and proceduralization is the idea that uh, muscle memory, what we colloquially call uh, muscle memory, is uh, longer enduring than um, factual knowledge. And so if you can get something so that it's just an automatic procedure, you're able to remember it often much better. So that's why they say, you know, it's like riding a bicycle and not like doing trigonometry, right? Because yeah. when you ride the bicycle, you get this kind of patterns in your brain. And then, you know, you don't ride a bike for 50 years and you get on there and you, you remember it. Whereas someone says, you know, what's the sign law? And you're like, oh, crap, I forget that. So, so yeah. these are these just general ideas of how you can stretch and uh, hopefully make your memories last a bit longer. Yeah, no, that's that's one of the most important things I, I, I learned about, like, retrieval. I don't know. Have you ever read the book uh, Make It Stick? Yeah, that, that, that one, it's about retrieval practice a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, that's the first time I learned about it. So, like, that's yeah. what I, 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 I've I tried to do. But that makes sense. Like, so so here's a question. Since your buds with Cal Newport, one of my mm -hmm. favorite books from him is So Good They Can't Ignore You, right? Mm -hmm. And he talks about, you know, I think it was like the kid playing the banjo or guitar or something. But he keeps increasing the difficulty and, you know, yeah. and trying to improve on it. So where where would you say, like, that balance is between, like, pushing yourself and trying harder and knowing when to, like, take a break? come back. You know what I mean? Well, so again, I think the way to think about it in that case is that say you're, you're playing the banjo, right? There's probably a few small kind of little components like playing the individual chords. I'm not, I'm not very musical. So maybe my uh, description of the situation is not going to be the best. I haven't done a music project yet, but the, there, there's little components of like doing the chords and stuff. And so each time you're doing that practice or like switching between one chord to another chord is probably mm. like, a, that's probably like an elementary skill in playing the banjo is that the movement of the fingers from position A to position B in some kind of speed. And there's various things. And so when you are doing a really tricky thing, you are working on those basic components in the same way that, you know, someone who's skiing, for instance, when they're doing a black run, it's not like they're doing something different than you're doing on the green runs. You're just doing it at a much harder level. So it's not like you, you do the double blacks yeah. and you get down to the bunny hill and you're like, whoa, I forgot the basics. Like you, it, it, it you are just doing the basics in a much more advanced way. Yeah. So I do think deliberate practice builds on that. Um, I do think the, the issue is a little bit more that, uh, the way that we often conceptualize things in school is that we organize it based on our mental map of how it is. So I'll give a perfect example. I remember my sister was telling me she took Spanish in university and uh, I forget the number now, but there was like 12 different conjugations, I guess. And so it was like one week for each conjugation. Mm. But this is kind of ridiculous because present tense or simple past tense is way more important than like, you know, the 
pluperfect or the, you know, future subjunctive, but they each get one week in the curriculum. And so, you know, if I were doing a Spanish class, it would be like, you know what, actually, if you can do the the present and the past, but you can do it like this, like you don't have any problems doing them in a conversation, you're going to be much more fluent than if you're like, you know how to do the future subjunctive, but you can't say, you know, yo hablo espanol. Like like that, that's a major failure. And so I think sometimes the issue can be that, uh, well, schools all have all these sort of goals that they have to meet. There's like lots of issues, but but sometimes there can be these uh, problems because the needs of what you need to do to kind of get to a competent level of the skill don't always match up with, okay, we need to cover this territory in the next mm. four months or this semester or something. And so I do think that when you are approaching self-education projects, keeping these tools in mind that like, you know, if you're learning a language and you're like, ah, I keep forgetting everything. Okay, retrieval, very important. You got to actually practice remembering it. You can't just look mm-hmm. at it on your phone on Duolingo. Yeah. But also, you you need to be thinking about uh, how am I doing these space exposures? Am I overlearning like the key phrases so that, you know, when they come up in situations, I can just say them instantly. I don't have to think about yeah. it. Very important. Yeah, yeah. So kind of like that that intuition type mm-hmm. aspect of it and all that. So one of the other principles is feedback. And and here's where, you know, maybe you'll just say, Chris, you're getting in your head, just quiet <laughs> that noise down. So feedback, right? So with my, with what I'm doing, right, I'm trying to, like, I, I'm i a, a huge fan of the idea of, like, you need to keep people around and tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Like, I love tough love, right? Yeah. So so give it to me, Scott. But anyway, but I like, as I write, like, you know, when I'm writing, when I write a post, I'm putting these ideas together, or, you know, even with this podcast, I'll be like, hey, you know, give me feedback. But anyways, 90% of the time it's purely positive. And my head says a few mm. things, right? Either A, they just, you know, didn't even listen or read it and they just said that, right? Or B, they're just puffing me up and they don't want to give me negative feedback, even though I think I'm talking to people who would be honest with me, you know? Uh, so I think it's those things. Yeah, that's where my brain jumps to. Right. So so um, I guess, you know, the, the, you know, part of that too is, is how do I, how could someone like me approach feedback? Am I going to the right people? Like I'm, you know, for example, my piece recently I wrote, you know, it has some psychological concepts, you know, and things like that, some data. And, you know, I went to some psychologists I know and authors who write about that stuff. I'm like, hey, do you think I explained this well? And they say, yeah. So am I just like, is is imposter syndrome hitting me? Or like, what what's a way I can figure it out. Well, so there's different there's different ways to approach this, but one thing I want to focus on right off the bat is that and this is maybe my mistake. Um when I wrote this chapter, I titled it feedback and th- that's because it is feedback, that is what the term is. But the problem is that when you say feedback and I'm realizing this now, most people think about getting verbal sort of praise or criticism from another person. And Mm. I think that's actually not the most useful kind of feedback in most situations. And one of the reasons is what you just mentioned, that you have this whole sociological dimension to it that like people don't, people really don't like giving negative feedback. And people, and what you're talking about is also true because even if you're like, I, you know, give it to me straight. I want the tough love. Most people who say that are also lying. So you you can't, (laughs) you can't like, it's, 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 it's like, well, what do you want me to say? You know, it's the, don't like go into it from that perspective. I think, I think the way you got to think about it. So I, I, I would have, if I were to retitle it, this is a little bit more abstract, but I probably would have focused on contact contact being that there's some reality you want to influence. 
and there is your performance or your activity and you want them to be like this. You want there to be all these sort of informational channels coming from the activity you're doing into what you're doing. So what does that mean? Well, one way of looking at your blog post is, you know, did it get a lot of views? Was it popular? What was the open rate? What was, these are all not like, what's your opinion about this, but just you can see how well it did. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to ask, okay, what was my, uh, you know, what's my knowledge of these topics, then you, again, writing the essays, maybe not the best way to adjudicate that just because maybe the things you understood, you wrote about the things you didn't understand, you didn't write about, you know, this kind of thing. If you wanted to really, okay, do I understand these topics? You could do some kind of test. So this is one of the reasons that I liked, you know, uh, doing the MIT classes is that they had tests yeah. at the end, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, that was an interesting class. It's like, okay, prove this. And you're like, oh, wait, oh yeah, that's actually much harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And so I think this idea of contact is think about what are you actually trying to accomplish with this goal mm. and then look for, look for the sort of signals from the environment of, are you accomplishing it? And another thing that I found is that uh, it's not just about getting more feedback, it's about getting good feedback. And so that was something else that I, I kind of went in thinking, okay, well, people need more feedback. We need to get more feedback, blah, blah, blah. But you can easily get overwhelmed by noise. Yeah. And especially if there is this kind of self-preservation, ego preservation kind of mentality involved, you may be, you know, okay, well, there's these people telling you what you want to hear. And then there's yeah. this kind of lukewarm indicator, but let's like kind of not consider that and focus on what I want to hear. And so if you yeah. get tons and tons of feedback, it can be distorted because you choose to focus on things that tell you what you want to hear. And so for me, I think the best way to view it is if your skill is taking place or if your knowledge is being applied in a place where just the reality is going to bump up against you when you make mistakes, that's what you want to be. And that kind of like the feedback of like me sitting in this chair mm -hmm. is not really like a social process. It's just, you know, if I try to push into it, it pushes back against me. And I think that pushing back that contact is so valuable. And so when I look at things, I always try to see what is the, you know, most objective or most reliable indicator of, of that. And then if you need sort of more advanced work, so like I want to know how my book's going to do, but I'm not going to know for four years because it's, mm -hmm. that's when it's going to be publishing and by then it's too late. Then you want to look at things like, well, if I wrote a blog post about it, you know, how was the, how was the response to that? Not, you know, what do you think of this book idea? But I wrote a blog article where I talk about the same idea. How did it do compared to my other blog articles, right? Yeah. And that's not always as satisfying because I think when we seek feedback, often we're seeking reassurance. You know, like what you're saying, like, I want someone to tell me you did a good job. I want someone to tell me, yeah. you know, thumbs up. Whereas, uh, you know, this blog article did 10% better than a previous blog article doesn't tell you that. You know, mm -hmm. it just tells you that this one was a little better than this other one. But I think that that can often be more useful from a from a skill development point of view. So not from an emotional reassurance point of view, but just from purely a, okay, this was a little better than this. I'm going to go with this or I'm going to mm -hmm. try that out or I'm going to try this way of wording it or describing it. So the example that I used is uh, Tristan de Montevello, who uh, over a very short period of time became really good at public speaking, who I document in the book. And uh, that was one of the things that he came up against is that, you know, he goes to these Toastmaster meetings, which are like infamously polite oh, yeah. and congratulatory. And he goes to these Toastmaster meetings and like, you know, what do you think of my speech? You're just going to get junk, right? Like even when people suggest things, maybe they're not even going to focus on what really matters. Whereas 
you know, do you tell a joke and people laugh or not? You kind of can't fake that. Like people don't fake laugh at jokes usually. So if you told a joke that wasn't funny, they don't laugh and you learn that. And so you try a different joke and, and sometimes even just switching the environment. I remember he went and he did a few versions of his speech to uh, middle school classes. So if you want harsh feedback, you know, ask seventh graders, you know, if you can remember from from junior high, like that's where you're going to get that real feedback. And so sometimes you need to shift out into a different environment. If, you know, I'm writing my blog articles for my audience and everyone's just like clap, 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 clap. Maybe I do need to like submit it to an editor at, you know, whatever, some magazine where they're going to be like, no, this is trash and throw it back at me. So sometimes you need to shift to a new environment where the that physical contact from the space is a little tighter. It's not as loose. So you, you you have to sharpen up what you're doing. And so I think if you can view it that way and then view the social aspect of feedback as kind of like the last layer on that cake, I think it's the best way to think about it. Yeah, that, by the way, Scott, that was such a good answer. And I think you need to take that and do something with it. Like <laughs> I was coming up with new questions as you were saying it yeah. and you kept answering because that's what I was wondering because like, there were, like for example, just uh, when, as a content creator, when my yeah. content started taking off, there was noise. And I'm like, are you guys just like liking this or is this <laughs> doing good just because it's doing good? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I like that idea, for example, with a blog piece or whatever, like, okay, maybe I'll try submitting it over here and they'll give me feedback, a complete stranger and and stuff like that. So I really, I really like well, that. Well, again, seeing, if you think about it in terms of contact, I think that's helpful just because it forces you to recognize the role of the environment in feedback. So if you focus on the feedback, then it's like, how can I do exactly what I'm doing, but get more feedback? But often that's difficult to do. You have to kind of invent stuff to get feedback. And sometimes it's not very accurate, but if it's just, okay, I'm going to shift to a more demanding environment. And then the feedback you get for free, it's like kind of automatic that just like, you know, writing a blog article versus writing, you know, a New York Times op-ed. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone could just get a New York Times op-ed, yeah. but, but clearly the latter is going to, you know, be stringent or constrain your writing in particular ways that you just publishing on your blog or Substack's not going to do. And so in a similar way, I think viewing, okay, I, I want to test myself. I want to push myself. I need to go to a different environment that's going to be more constraining. You can even see this in a lot of professional skills where people will create new constraints for themselves to sort of artificially create environments that force mm. them to learn new skills. So if you're a programmer and you always do things in a certain way, you know, you add some constraints to your work and suddenly you have to really understand the programming language you're learning because all the sort of sloppy default ways you do things you can't do anymore. And so I think uh, this idea of thinking about it in terms of the environment, thinking about it in terms of contact can be very helpful for getting out of that, just getting praise and pats on the back and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's often a disconnect between like, you know, celebrities and just average folk, but I, I empathize with, you know, musicians or, uh, uh, an example always brought up is, uh, Chris rock, right. And how he tests out, Mm. you know, new bits and stuff. But once you reach a certain level, it's like, are you guys like, like, for example, like Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, or could they go to any comedy club and somebody just would not know who they are, right? (laughs) So it's it's hard to kind of like decipher that. But then you also have, you know, know, content creators, like, you know, just coming from the YouTube world, I've seen so many people just massively screw up because they had just yes men around them constantly. So nobody was there and they didn't really have any audience to kind of test that on because what are they going to do like do a full like prosthetic makeup and not be them to yeah. test it so I, I empathize with that a little bit so you know uh you know like it certain people have the advantage of doing that and others they have to kind of 
I don't know, I guess analyze it a little bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think just uh, even the idea of setting a particular challenge or constraint that's outside of your current performance level. So the, the best example of that, you know, you're skiing and you, you can do the blues, but you can't do the blocks. So you're going on to a block run. It, it just, the environment immediately changes you and forces you to make those turns more accurately and like do all these things a little mm. bit better. And so if you can think about the, like, what is the blue to black run or what is the bunny hill to the green run or whatever progression in my own work or my own skill that I want to get good at, mm. um, that I think works a lot better than just, I'm going to get some coach that as I keep doing the bunny run, they just like yell at me, like, oh, yeah. do this a little better. That can help, but you need that kind of, you know, in the muscles sort of sense. And so I think that's true of a lot of skills that we have to do that you just have to be in an environment that's more demanding in order to raise your standards. Yeah, no, no, that that makes sense. And I and I, I love this conversation too, because it's helping me think outside the box a little bit and all that. And I I just have a couple, a couple more questions for you. And one thing, now that you know a little bit about me, now that you know I love to learn yeah. about all these other things, like uh what what could uh, a project be for me, right? Not not even saying I would do it, but I need some ideas, <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. should I work on like a really in-depth piece? Like I've done things in the past where I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna do a very in-depth like video essay. I'm gonna write like a really long blog piece. Hell, when I was self-publishing books, like I wrote like, you know, a book on anxiety, one on anger management. I kind of took all that collective knowledge and did that. Mm -hmm. But now that you know me a little bit, what what yeah. what's a project I could do to kind of test my knowledge, do you think? Well, first of all, I do think that projects are very personal. So I, I really mm. don't like, don't go do this project. People <laughs> will sometimes say that to me. Like I get emails from people and it's the project they should be doing. And then they want me to do it. And I'm like, no, no, Wait, it, give it, me an example. I want to know what oh, you mean by well, that. I don't know. Someone sent me an email because they were really interested in uh, like video editing or something. And they like wanted me to like uh, do some kind of animation or whatever project. And I'm kind of like, well, you want to do the project, like, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you, but they wanted to see me do it so that maybe like they think I'm magic or something. And I, I could like, yeah, so they now then they know they can know that. how to do it or something. I don't know. But the the reason I kind of push back on that is that like, you know, there, there it's an enormous amount of work. Like you have to, your heart has to be in it. I can't do your project just like you mm. can't do my project. And so if I tell you I did this project and you're kind of like, oh yeah, all right, fine. Like you, you're not gonna be able to summon up the energy to do it. So I think you need to think about what you want to do. I think the uh, constraints I would offer is first of all, try to look for um, try to look for some sort of concrete outcome or manifestation for the knowledge. So this could be passing a test, this could be doing some performance. You already mentioned like writing books or video essays. These are really good uh, guiding constraints for projects as they take mm. learn about X and turn it into something concrete. Um, and so whatever works for your situation, like it can also be for other people. It could be you know getting a job so such such split like that yeah. really constrains your efforts learning about machine learning versus i'm going to get a job as an entry-level data scientist totally different projects because mm. the first one you're just like wow there's an infinite number of papers and blah 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 and you just get overwhelmed whereas i want to get this job you start working backwards okay i'll talk to people what do i need to learn what do i need to prioritize yeah. and so similarly if it's like i'm going to write a book about topic x already that organizes your thinking. Okay, I'm going to need to get this kind of stuff. I'm going to mm. need to understand these basics. I'm going to, uh, this is what's going to be in the book. You have some feel for how much depth you want to go in various directions. So even for me right now, uh, you know, when I was writing this last book, I knew that each topic was about a chapter length. I knew kind of 
well, I needed to understand it at this level. But at the same time, I had, you know, nine or 10 other topics. I had all these other things I had to do. So I couldn't, you know, just make it the book that was only about like feedback. Let's say like we were just talking about, yeah. like I had to, had to trim those sort of research paths so that they would fit in that, those constraints. And so I think focusing on a concrete manifestation outcome is, is very valuable. The next thing I usually recommend is to set a very particular time frame. So, uh, you know, this, I tend to favor smaller projects if you're not used to doing this because a year project is just so much more yeah. work to execute than a one month project or a six week project. And I think it's totally fine to break them into milestones. So if you're not sure you want to commit to it and you're like, I want to learn Spanish, then like, well, what can you do in six weeks? And then at that point, you can reevaluate whether you want to do another six weeks or whether you want to pause or, or what have you. So, mm -hmm. so I think that would be good. And um, I mean, really, the final point would be just to try to see what you could do to challenge yourself. I mean, you've already done a lot of stuff. You read tons of books, you've written books, you've done essays, you've done a lot of things. So it's always, you know, what's something that when I think about it is like, maybe I could do it, but it's a little daunting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the right zone you want to be in for for doing a project, because then, you know, you're going to have to take it seriously and push yourself. So even for me, if I'm like working on a new book or something, I, you know, I'm not going to maybe do it to the level of, you know, the world's PhD expert, but maybe I'm going to be like, you know what, last time I did it to this level, I'm going to do it, you know, plus one level, or I'm going to do it mm. to this level of standard. And I get some kind of idea in my head of of what that would look like. And so I think that's also useful for you um, when you're working on it is to try to visualize or, or come up with some sort of benchmark of like, I'm going to write it like this, or I'm going to do it like this to this standard. Um, works really well if it's in the context of there's a particular exam or a particular yeah. test that that makes that standard objective. So if you're learning a language, they actually grade them and I'm going to get this level is, is really yeah. easy. But even if you're doing something that's um, nebulous, like a writing project and you want to get better at research, you can benchmark that to be like, I want this book to be at the standard of, you know, these other three books that I like. Mm -hmm. And then you read those books and you look through them and you see, well, what are they doing that, you know, I'm currently not doing or what I'm not yeah. able to do? Or if I'm writing programming code or something like I want it to be at this level, I want to make it, you know, whatever benchmark you want to do. And so uh, that final aspect of setting that sort of challenge in that sort of upper range of, you know, I don't know whether I can do this, It's but it's you know, sort of on the range of maybe what might be possible for me, that's a good, um, good place for a project. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, you're a genius. I love you. I love this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Because I was thinking, because, uh, you know, actually right before I started this podcast, I was reading a ton of books on writing and nonfiction writing. I'm like, I want to, you know, I had a project in mind. I'm like, I want to write a book, but instead of self-publishing, I want to play and just, you know, maybe pitch it out, see what yeah. happens. And, and now I've learned even more and I'm, you know, but I, I, uh, my, my first issue is this podcast is, is doing way better than I thought. So I'm very busy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when it chills out, good like, problems to have, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I like that idea as a project, you know yeah. what I mean? Taking this, this knowledge and putting it together. But, you know, I've been trying to experiment with ideas just through writing blogs on Substack and stuff like that. But, you know, that is a project. And then, you know, that, that kind of gets, you know, outside uh, input from, but I think, I think you just spelled it out right now. Like in not to say this is the only project you could pick, but you know, for me, I had uh, self-published eBooks and when I wrote ultra learning, it was okay. I'm going to write a traditionally published book, mm -hmm. meaning I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to write a proposal. I'm going to get a book deal. They're going to give me an advance. I'm going to publish it. 
and I want it to be a good book. I want it to be like, you know, mm. I picked a few books. I remember the uh, it, the book didn't look like it in the end, but in the beginning, the um, structure of the book I modeled off of Cal Newport's deep work. I just sort of like how he sort of organized his argument. I was like, okay, that's how I'm going to organize yeah. this book. And, um, you know, and I picked another handful of books. I think I remember went through one of Tyler Cowen's books and, and like a few other books where it was like, I want the discussion of the science to be like at this level, right? Yeah. And that was really helpful because, you know, admittedly, that's a qualitative goal. It's not, it's not extremely precise. It's, it's hard to know if you hit it, but the more you can kind of visualize, this is what I'm trying to do. And that's different from what I normally do. And you see that gap. I think yeah. that's where the project exists is getting between there. So the more you can make that concrete is valuable because a lot of people, what they do is they just sort of, well, I'm going to do this. And I, you know, they don't have any kind of concrete standard or specific vision mm. of what they've set for themselves. And so very naturally, you just do what you've always done, right? Maybe a little better just through experience. You do it mm -hmm. a little bit better, like a plus one or something. But I think the more you can kind of grasp at like, okay, yeah, but I haven't done this before. I haven't done a traditionally published book. Yeah. I haven't written at this level where, you know, I've, you know, done all this research and done this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I've just like shared my opinion before, or, you know, I've been very casual in how I cite things. I haven't like, you know, yeah. like where I could like, recount the literature on this or whatever it is you want to do, you can sort of set that bar. And I mean, I'm talking about writing as an example with you, which may not be relevant to everyone here, but I think the more you can visualize that, you know, I want to be able to do X or no X at this level that's clearly above where I am right now. And you can make that clear in your head. You can organize a project around that. And yeah. so I think that's, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah, you can do that with yeah, so many things. You know, earlier we were talking about you know music, like you know, can you play this instrument to a certain level? Or yeah, or you, you listen learn... to someone playing, you're like, I want to play it like him, right, yeah, or like yeah. her, and then that that gives you this sort of bar that you're trying to reach. Yeah, and surprisingly, I actually do have a lot of authors and writers who listen to the podcast because I interview so many authors. Yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it was uh, Benjamin Franklin, like when he was practicing his writing, he would like read articles. And then like try to mimic it like perfectly for the style and stuff. And and that's something I started doing when I was I had the book project in my in my mind. I was like finding books that I really I'm like, this, this is the type of book I like, right? And yeah. I was trying to like analyze it and break it down and structure it. And I was working oh, yeah. an outline out of that. So okay. So I'll I'll let you know. I'm gonna go back to that project eventually Perfect. when this stuff yeah. chills out. But but yeah, last question for you. Sure. What what do you what do you what topics are you learning about or interested in? now like what do you what do you yeah well i'm not sure, sure how much about? i should talk about this because it, it's not set in stone yet but i am doing a research project that might turn into another book but it's a nice. lot about some of these topics that we were talking about about learning by doing and this contact idea and so the sort of idea that i want to focus on in this is sort of moving away from the more let's say academic type subjects you're learning and more how do we get good at things when we don't even think about it as a learning project, when we think about it, like, I want to start a business, you know, I want to mm. have a successful career. I want to be good at relationships, this kind of stuff. And so it's the real, the process of figuring things out and this kind of setting the environment and the constraints. And so I've been reading tons of books about apprenticeship, about learning by doing and, mm. and lots of stuff like this. And um, the content, we didn't even talk about it in this uh, episode with you, but the directness chapter of my book, was a huge idea of just this idea of um, transfer being a problem of like learning something in one context and applying it to another yeah. or you learn a skill, but it's not quite the skill you need. So these, I think, are actually quite deep issues that influence lots of self-improvement, 
that's not just learning, right? It's not just an issue of mm. education. It's the way we meditate. It's the way we exercise. It's the way we do our personal finances. It's the way, you know, you listen to this podcast right now, you go and apply it to your life. And so I think having the right grounding for that and an understanding of that, I think can make people much more efficient and effective in doing what they do. And I think it really um, focuses you on which issues are important mm. and which things uh, require your attention and which kind of things like, okay, I can ignore that. Yeah. That, well, that sounds super cool. So when you need beta readers, you got, you got my email <laughs> sure, address. Perfect. Thanks. But uh, yeah, yeah, Scott, thank you so much. I'm so, uh, when you returned my email, I was so excited. I'm like, yes, I get to figure some stuff out about learning. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for everybody out there, uh, you know, aside from the book, is there anything yeah. else like you're working on or where can people keep yeah. up to date with you is the best place, like your blog, social media, where, where can people well, find yeah, you? Uh, by all means, check out my blog. It's at scotthyoung.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-H-Y-O-U-N-G.com. I have my uh, own podcast. I have uh, essays there, a newsletter we send out every week um, with uh, new ideas about self-improvement, learning, productivity, all those topics. Um, I'm also on various social media. You can follow me. So if you prefer Instagram, Twitter, whatever, you can also get my content that way. Uh, usually Scott H. Young. Uh, so if you search for that, you should be able to find me. And of course, I uh, recommend you check out the book. So Ultra Learning, uh, it's available Audible as well. So if you're not tired of listening to me yeah. already, you can listen to me a little bit more. And I can tell you all, you know, nine of the principles that uh, we found for how to learn things effectively. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hope everybody grabs it because I binged it. And, and I was actually thinking about reading it again. So I might do that too until your ne next book comes out. But yeah, thanks again, Scott. I, I really appreciate it. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Scott Young as much as I did. I honestly could have talked to him forever. And one of the best parts, one of the best parts about this podcast is, you know, aside from just wanting to bring people on and talk about interesting topics, like there's stuff that I have questions about. I'm like, you know, like, what do I do with this? Like there's, there's questions I have where I want to like get into some of the nooks and crannies or, you know, get uh, clarification on some of the topics from the book. And that's another reason I started this podcast. I get to bring people on like Scott and get very like personalized advice and information. But my hope is too, that some of you out there are like, oh, hey, this is helpful for me too. But yeah, that, that's, really cool so uh yeah I, I got some great advice from scott in this and i hope any of you who are like me and just learn about like to learn about these kind of abstract topics that aren't really like you know learning to program or learning to draw or learning you know, to like do something physical like i i hope you got some good suggestions in there too um and yeah like i said make sure you're following scott over on social media and i'm gonna link that down below along with his book ultra learning so check that out but yeah um i've been writing a ton like i said and just editing this podcast uh we recorded this weeks ago some of you who have been following me you you can tell because i talk about my job and since then i got laid off due to covid which has freed up some more time for me to start on some of these projects but yeah um you know i don't even want to put this out there because then you know once you put something out publicly then there's the accountability and all that but I am not only writing, but I am working on brainstorming some different ideas for books. Um, and yeah, Scott reminded me, you know, so, something I might want to try to do is like, you know, see if I could develop the skills to, you know, I reach out and, you know, get like a publisher to publish one of my books. So there's a lot of advantages to self-publishing, but, you know, one of the things on my bucket list is just like work with one of the big publishers, get a book published. Like that would be dope and then i can just go back to self-publishing or whatever but yeah i'm gonna be experimenting around with my writing i have a bunch of cool little books that i'm gonna write that are you know i just want to get them out of my system they'll be cheap as hell but anyways anyways 
I love talking to Scott and gave me some great ways to kind of, you know, get these ideas in line so I can get out there and write and hopefully they're helpful to all of you. All right. But anyways, down in the description, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. So you don't miss anything. I love talking with all of you and I love chatting with you about books and getting book recommendations, but I'm always uh, keeping you up to date with what I'm reading, future guests, all sorts of stuff. So make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter and a few great ways you can help support the podcast that don't help you or don't cost you a penny are to follow it. Make sure you're following or you're subscribed. If you enjoyed this episode with Scott or any other episode you listen to, make sure you share it on social media. And the last way that you could do this is if you take two seconds, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review. All of these things really help out with the podcast, help spread the message, help grow a lovely little community and all that stuff. All right. But some other ways you can help support the podcast, uh, aside from starting to write new books, I have actually self-published five books. All right. <laughs> I've already written five books, a lot of them around mental health and addiction recovery. And yeah, it helps support the podcast and what I do. If you head over to the rewiredsoul.com, check some of them out. All right. Another great way to help support the podcast is you can become a patron, get access to some exclusive content, early content and all that stuff. And then there's also an affiliate link down below for better help online therapy. Mental health is a huge, huge, huge part of my life. Um, I've actually been talking a little bit more about mental health on my Substack posts and stuff, but anyways, therapy, uh, was a huge, huge help during some really difficult times. And during that time, I was actually using better help online therapy. So it's one of the reasons I'm such a huge advocate for their service and what they do. So if you want affordable therapy and working with a licensed therapist, check out that affiliate link for better help online therapy. All right. But yeah, another huge thanks to Scott for coming on. Make sure you check out his book ultra learning. All right. And for all of you who listened, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. And I'll be back tomorrow with another new episode. So I'll see you then.